The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith, and that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Yeah. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. All you Jacks and Jennies. We're going to start doing that now. You're either a jackass or you're, do they say Jenny ass? I don't think so. No. How about a John ass? A gilding, you said. Yeah, a fixed donkey. Yeah, half ass. Is it gilding or half ass? <laughs> Maybe. Turn it around. Turn we're it not, around. Yeah, Let's start that again. The ship. Hello, Jackson Jennings. How you doing today? We're the Burroughs of Berea. Go and try one more time. <laughs> yeah, Jerry, I would like you to say a cuss word. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Join this. Join this with Sorry. us. Sorry. Yeah, feel the peer pressure. <laughs> now, we're back. Uh, we've got the whole group here. The whole drove of asses is here in the studio. Uh, I'm Rick Welch. With me is Cherry Lewis. Hello. Ralph Hicks. Hello. Billy Kimsey. Hi. And Andrew Bishop. Hello. It is Andrew, right? Yeah. What's your middle name? Aaron. A-A-B. That, yep, that, that's my initials. There it is. Yeah, so we talked about the burial last time. We, we decided to slow down and... And then we said we we're going to get into the resurrection. And I sent you guys all of this stuff, right? And we are going to get into the resurrection. We are. But again, I thought of something that I, I thought that would that was pretty important. Okay. Each one of the resurrection accounts are different. They have unique differences. Some people are there. It's before sunrise. It's after sunrise. There's women. There's men. There's who's here, who's there. So I decided that it would be important for all of us to understand each one of these Gospels, it's not just from its own perspective, but there is a point or a theme that's with these Gospels, okay? Ralph, you have your Bible, right? I do. So, what I want to do today is I want to read the first verse or verses of each of the Gospels. Okay. And then I want to break that down so that you understand what this Gospel writer is saying right out of the gate, so that you really know where they're coming from. Okay. The Bible, in my opinion, was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Okay. Whenever Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, I think that's pretty safe to say. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Thessalonica. Did he know that it was going to arrive in Hendersonville, North Carolina? Absolutely not. I don't think he knew that. Did he know that other Christians would write it? Yes, because he said, hey, share this letter with other churches. But did he know it was going to be shared 2,000 years later or, you know, close to that, 1,900 years later? I don't know what Paul knew. I just knew that when he wrote the letter, it was to a specific person, okay, or a specific church. Like, he wrote to Timothy or to Titus or Philemon. You know, it was written to them, but for our benefit. So, these Gospels were also written— to specific either believers, non-believers, or like in the case of Luke, a specific person was in mind. And we were fortunate enough to be able to get that letter and read it, you know, and see some of the wisdom that comes from these Christian men that were writing to these other people. All right, so I want to start with the book of Mark and read uh, chapter 1, verse 1, if you don't mind. 
The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's it. So in that first verse, this just to give you guys an idea, you know, I like to do on the side studies, I say study it like a detective. So did any of you guys read the points that I sent? Yes. Okay. So interject at any point what you guys thought, but I'll start with this. So we'll do this first one, and then when we get into this next one, I really want you guys to to jump in here. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the first point I wanted to bring out is that this is, it's the beginning. That's why I said I thought Mark was the first gospel that was written, because it's the beginning. It says that it is. And it's, from what I understand, it's been historically proven that Mark was most likely the earliest gospel that was written. And it's unique because you can read the, the scriptures themselves. You know, it'll tell you. And I also said that they believe that the synoptic gospels were borrowing from a source called Q, the Q document. Anybody look that up by any chance? I didn't look that up. Yeah. So don't take my word for it. Anybody, listen, we're called the Burroughs of Berea because Burroughs were just a bunch of donkeys. But no, we, we have a reason for calling that. The, the donkey was what carried Balaam, you know, and was trying to save his life from destruction about going against what God said. And then the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, they, when they heard Paul and Silas preaching, they went back and they studied the scriptures to make sure that what they were saying was true. That's Can I ask what, you a question? Yes. So I didn't look it up because I got sidetracked on the fact that in my Bible, I read that Mark was not one of the 12 disciples. He was not. So shocker. I did learn that. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So I got stuffed off, you know, down a rabbit hole over there. And neither was Luke. I know. I read that too. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when I said that they gave the name John, you know, as the Apostle John, because they wanted to give it some legitimacy, because the Gnostics were, they really liked this book, you know, the mystics, the mystical side of it. But that's what's so strange. So Mark, they believe, is John Mark. He's mentioned in the book of Acts. He's the one that traveled around with Paul and with, I believe, Barnabas, and they had a big fight over him actually. Yeah. And they believe that that's John Mark who ends up with Peter and he helps write this gospel and that Peter was his source when he was writing this gospel. And then later on when Peter writes the letter, Peter was uneducated and Mark, John Mark was not. So he was able to write. So they believe that John Mark wrote First Peter and Second Peter. Am I the only one that didn't know that? No, no. I didn't know it until I found out. And even with Luke, Luke was the same way. Like yeah. he was, he was very young and pretty much learned everything from Paul, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you guys did some research. Good. I, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So they believe that there was a, uh, this book of sayings, they call it the Q source document, and all of the Synoptic Gospels were borrowing from it. Now, that's in scholarship, that's what they believe. Is that the truth? I don't know. Okay. But the author of this book makes something, you know, a very, you know, solid point. He says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, but whenever Jesus was standing before uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, and, and Caiaphas says, are you the Son of God or not? And he says, I am, and you will see me coming in the clouds in great glory. And they he tore his you know, his robes, and he's like, it's blasphemous. Well, if he says that it's blasphemy, then this gospel that says the Son of God, it's almost this immediate blasphemous writing that's coming out for everybody to read, you know? So it's kind of like a shocking, uh, like if you get a magazine and it's got like um, Dennis Rodman dressed as a woman on it, you know what I mean? Like, bam, like pumps you right in the face. I think that's what these gospels were for earlier, you know, for, for the circulation that was going around. And 
Jesus, uh, he, he makes this claim, you know, in his ministry, but Mark wants to make that point at the very beginning. Okay, so knowing that later on when we get into the resurrection accounts, not on this episode, but on the next episode, keep that in mind, that the gospel of Mark, I, I heard a preacher explain that this gospel was like a train. It starts off, and it's just, it's getting moving. It's getting moving. But then it's it starts moving really fast. And it's like, and then this, and then that, and then this, and straight away, and straight away, and straight away. And then suddenly it slows down. If you read the gospel, it slows down during the crucifixion. It just, everything just slows down. It's almost like he's hyper-focusing on this moment to show that he was the son of God. Okay? So when you get to this resurrection account at the end of it, keep that in mind about this author. This is one of the first ones that came out. He gives his account, and his point in the theme is that Christ is the Son of God. Okay? Ralph, do you mind reading Matthew chapter 1, just verse 1? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's right. So, what do you think? Well, Did like you, what do I think his point was? Or yeah. like, So, Matthew just comes right out and says it. So, what do you think it's about? Proving that... <clears throat> He can through the bloodline that he said he would come through. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy. <laughs> begat, 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 begat. Yeah. That's right. You know, these, the begats, you know, <clears throat> that slows everybody down. But they are fascinating if you stop and read them. It's fascinating because it shows. I, I had a preacher say one time that anytime you see a lineage like that, that it's like an address for God's son. You can go back through the Old Testament. You can see in the Chronicles. You can follow it throughout the Bible. You can see, you know, in Genesis, it goes all the way down to this point. And then after the exile, it's all the way down to this point. And then, you know, you just follow it. And in Matthew, he breaks it down for you. So you can see how he makes it to where he is from the King David line, the bloodline, and that he is the promised seed from Abraham. And he spends the whole time proving it. Well, if you go through the rest of verse two, <laughs> begot, 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 begot. That's right. A lot of people begetting back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he calls him the son of David. And so David is the most important king in Israeli history. Okay. If you remember that people wanted a king, and so they get Saul, who is this big, tall, very, you know, astute man. And, uh, but, but God, wanted to be their king. God was going to be their king, but they wanted an earthly representation of a king. And so when King David comes on the scene, if you remember, whenever the Philistine giant, Goliath, is out mocking the God of Israel and mocking the armies of Israel, that this very young little runt of a man, or young young boy, boy. he was a boy, really, who was a shepherd? Comes and he said, down. "Let me take care of this." Yeah, I mean, he comes down on the scene and he's shocked. You know, his father had sent him with like what some cheese and some stuff to bring to the front lines, and he sees this giant Goliath out there just mocking them, and he's like, "Is anybody going to go out there and handle this uncircumcised Philistine?" I mean, he just, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, that's what he says. What's your thought there, Billy? Are you hung up on uncircumcision? (laughs) I didn't expect that. So (laughs) that's what he says. Okay. I mean, if you think about it, you know, it it 
calling them an uncircumcised Philistine among all the Jews, of course, they were all circumcised. You know, that is the sign that Abraham gives his people, you know, is the cutting the flesh of the penis, which, hey, you know, I don't understand it, but it is what it is. That's yep. the sign of the Jew. And so he says, is anyone going to handle this uncircumcised Philistine that's out there mocking, mocking our God, you know? And they're all like, the brother's like, shh, shut up, shut up. You're just a little punk. Yeah. Yep. And so he was like, oh no, I'm not just a punk. I'm going to go this. out there and take this yep. guy. And then so Saul tries to give him his armor and it's too big for him. As you imagine, like this little kid with all this gigantic armor on, <laughs> you know, he can't even carry his sword. Like he's just this tiny little guy. And he's like, no, 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 I can't handle this. So he goes, he walks out, he goes to a stream, he picks up five small stones, takes his little sling, something that a shepherd would use to fight off uh, a lion or a bear or something that's trying to attack his sheep, you know? And he said that he had fought off a lion and a bear both. And they're like, all right. So he goes out, slings a stone, hits him in the head and kills him. Then he runs up, takes this giant sword, cuts off the head of Goliath. From that point on, that's not a part of the version that I heard. Well, oh, what's the part of the version? No, no, just they they just failed to mention the the head the head sawing. Really, really? Yeah, I've just never heard that little bit. It can't be a good Christian story unless somebody's getting their head whacked off. <laughs> it really is strange. I, I got to say this, guys. Listen, I like gospel music. Okay, like it's all right. All I right. like the Gators. Not, okay. Yeah. Not not quite enough beheading, but you know, gospel's all right. Uh, that's kind of the point that I was getting ready to make. Like. Whenever I watch, I, I went with Cherry one time to the Inspiration, was it called Inspiration Mountain or Point? It's where the Inspirations had their land. I always get it wrong. But yeah. uh, it's not Inspiration Point. That's where people make yeah, out. That's where right? I always get it wrong. We weren't there, <laughs> but we went to this other Inspiration Park. We, we were more people than just us. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but Inspiration There's Park. another word for that. It was Inspiration Park. And there was all these people and they had... You know, all of these people came to this gospel singing, you know, and for me, like I'm sitting back and like every gospel song, especially it's a quartet convention, basically, which is just laughable in and of itself for me. And so I'm just sitting there and every one of them in the same with this high, like melodic harmony, ah, it ends. Glorious. Right? Yeah, Surely a there's a fourth in it for anybody <laughs> out there that... Knows anything about music? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> just to hear this this quartet, you know, singing, and and I remember them singing about John the Baptist, and they were wearing like these suits with cummerbunds, you know, and like these little funny ties, and I was like, and I've seen these quartet groups like wearing pink jackets, you know, and like white you know, pointy shoes, you know, and they're up there singing about, and David killed Goliath, you know? I just, I always imagine, what would it be like when David takes this giant sword and he cuts off the head of Goliath, and then he turns to the right, and there's this gospel quartet, like, and David killed this, you know? It's like, I love and endorse this. Can we put this together? <laughs> I would like to make a video, like, I know of, yeah, like a gospel quartet, but yeah. him killing and severing a man's head to this music? <laughs> and then, this but, is brilliant. But they're all singing about like King David or like John the Baptist. We John the Baptist wore camel's hair, had this like long hair, beard, you know. He was kind of a whacked out dude. He, he ate bugs. Yeah. He ate locusts and wild honey. Like this guy was out there. Like he was out there. Christ said that there was no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. That's what he says about this man. But he wore camel's hair and ate bugs. And let's just get real. Okay, he did. And then you see these four guys in 
you know, pink suits and white shoes going, and John the Baptist was the greatest born of woman. <laughs> it's horrible. I can't stand that. And then they have the gall to tell me that I, you know, I have to wear a suit too if I'm going to join this little group. It's like, do you realize this dude wore camel hair and ate bugs? Like, you wouldn't even let him in your church, man. So you were the one who wanted to wear camel hair. Yeah. The, the camel hair suit. I just wanted yeah. to wear, a, yeah, a mohair suit. <laughs> this is all born of Rick's jealousy of camel jackets. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I wanted. You know, just, I just all I want is a camel jacket. Yeah, but it, you know, that's kind of the, you know, the funny thing to me. But anyway, when this is the King David we're talking about, you know, King David, he was a boy, but he was a man. He was a warrior, and King David had a very troubled life, but he was the one that united all of these, all of the tribes, and made a kingdom for them. You know, they all rallied behind him. So this was a very important king, and so, but God promises. David, that the Messiah would come through his bloodline. So they were all, you know, of course, forever will he be from the line of David. Is he from the line of David? And then, of course, Abraham, you know, God, when God meets with Abraham, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, Cherry, but whenever God comes to Abraham and he says, you know, look at the stars, and he says, I'm going to give you children, all right? This, this man is in his 80s, I think. He, he and his wife, his name is Abram at the time, and his wife is Sarah. And he says, and, and she's barren and they don't have children. And he says, I'm going to give you a child. Then he says, through his seed, that all nations would be blessed. And he said, his seed. So you think, okay, so like through Isaac, that was the son that was born of him. But no, he was actually, it was a prophetic verse saying that his seed being, it would be Christ that would come. But because Abraham looked at the stars and he said, look at the stars, if you can count them, then that's how many children that you will have. Like, you're going to have nations that come out of you. And it says that he believed him, and it was credited to him as righteousness, right? When he's counting the stars. I learned a lot. I want to have a, a separate side study to talk about that, because it says that um, the Lord preached the gospel to him. But all we read in that Old Testament is that he looked at the stars. And I found out through a study that the gospel is written in the stars. And have you ever heard of Virgo? Yeah. Virgo is the virgin. Hmm. Yeah. I'll get into that later. But anyway, this is what he's looking at, you know, because Christ's mother was a virgin, you know. Um, and so it was, you know, the immaculate conception. So he preaches the gospel and uses the stars. To do so. It's an interesting study, but I, we'll do that on a side study one day when we have some more time. So anyway, so that's what this gospel writer is trying to tell us, that this is the Christ, but he is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. So now we've got two, three different titles for him in just the first two gospels, son of God, son of David, son of Abraham, right? All right, Ralph. So now let's go on to Luke. And Luke, I want you to read um, all the way, quite a ways. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered from them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Yes. That's, that's a, a long introduction, 
but it's it's such a unique one. Okay, I didn't put this in the notes, but Luke, um, he didn't. It wasn't like call the Gospel of Luke in the letter. It was just uh, historically speaking, they believe that Luke was the one that wrote a two-volume defense of the Apostle Paul. Okay, almost like a lawyer. He was. Uh, they call Luke the beloved physician, for instance. But he was an educated man who traveled with Paul. Well, this is kind of like at the beginning of a speech when somebody comes out and they introduce him so that you'll know that what he says he he has, you know, the background for, mm -hmm. and he's kind of just laying this out because, hey. Right. If you think about it, like almost like being in a courtroom and Theophilus was the judge and he is making his opening statement, this is like a defense for the Apostle Paul. Paul was in Rome at this time when this letter was written. And so he's, you know, Paul is going to be dead not very much longer, but he's bringing some things before Theophilus. And I finally found out who that man was. It took me a long time, but it's awesome uh, who Theophilus actually was. And I'll get into that. But I think I spoke about that in our last side study, I think. So let's break this one down. So we know that it's written to a man named Theophilus, okay? And I did a study on his name. It means friend of God. That's what Theophilus means. Uh, Theophilus either holds a position or he held an important position previously because of the words most excellent. When those words were put prior to the name, it was letting you know that he was of some stature somewhere, okay? Now, the... This uh, the author of this book, whether it's Luke or whomever, says. Now you were reading from a different version, but I'm. Uh, this is from the King James. He says, "Many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us." So the statement tells us that more. I'm reading my own notes, so forgive me. This statement tells us that more than one gospel has already been written in regard to the subject matter of this letter, because. This has been spoken of before. He talks about ministers using the word, right? So this person that receives this letter would be able to take this as like a historical narrative and be able to put it into a time frame. In other words, Luke saying, since I know like in a more perfect way, Luke is the one gospel that you can sort of count on the timing being right. In other words, he's saying some of these others were a little out of order. Because he said, I'm going to put these in order. So if you go to the other Gospels and it doesn't quite align with his, in my opinion, since the Holy Spirit wrote this book, in my opinion, he's letting us know that this is the ordered one. So everything that you read, you can look and you can see the order. That's how I discovered in our last side study that time frame where there was Simon the Pharisee and then that woman that came in. If you look at it, based on, this was like two years before Christ was crucified. All of the other accounts happens right before he dies. So I was able to determine that, oh, wait, if Luke is telling us in order, then that means that this happened much earlier. So maybe the others were out of order. However, the name of the man is Simon the Pharisee and then Simon the leper, if it's in the same house. There is a time frame. He's helping us find that. Do you see what I mean? I had Does a question about that. Go ahead. So I was thinking after that other side study, that would mean if the accounts happened at different times, then he was, um, oh my goodness, the word just fell out of my head, when she is um, anointing his body or whatever. Yes. 
um, that would mean that it would happen more than once. It did happen more than once. And see, in the first one, he never mentions that she's doing this for my burial. Okay. And in the other, he forgives her of her sin at this point in front of the Pharisee. Do you understand? Gotcha. So Luke is breaking it out in time for us. That's why I said it's in the northern region, because it is, whereas every other account happens in the southern region in Bethany. So it looks like to me that Mary was in the northern region, which is where Magdala is. Mary of Magdala, right. or Magdalene is actually how you pronounce it. Not Magdalene, but Magdalene. So she was from up north. She was the sister. And this is, of course, speculative, and it's my opinion, okay? This isn't necessarily scholarship, but she was a sinner. She was actually demon-possessed. So in my opinion, she wasn't with Martha and Lazarus at this point. She was up north. That's where she was at. And then when Jesus encounters her, she hears about him. He has already healed her of the seven demons. She is coming in at his feet thanking him. So how many times in the Jewish culture do they prepare a body for burial? Oh, I don't know. But it doesn't say anything about preparation of burial. Well, the reason I'm asking is, okay, so she's like, you know, when he says she's preparing me or uh, anointing me for yes, in the other okay. gospels, not in Luke, but in the others. So when I was reading, I noticed when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea took him um, down. They prepared his body, but mm-hmm. the ladies, when they showed up, they also brought spices to prepare his body that they were going to do after the Sabbath. Okay. But they did wrap him. It said according to the custom of the Jews. So he had to be washed prior to the linen going on his body, right? So all of the the ointment and the spices and all those things—that's what the women were coming back. They were they couldn't do it prior to the Sabbath, so they were coming back to finish the job. So what was it that Nicodemus brought? Ointment. He brought the same thing: the okay. spices, yeah. and everything. Well, okay. he, he brought the same. He brought. I think. What did they so say? Thinking, Seventy-five well, they to hundred pounds like, of it. Per, yeah, like a large, large amount. I thought, well, how many times do they prepare the body? That's a great question. I wonder if Mary, who had already prepared him for burial, she took care of his feet. But when they're going back, they're going back to finish the job, but the stone was already rolled in front of it. That's one of the questions are like, you know, like, who's going to roll the stone back? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how are we going to get the stone off of here? And it's been sealed, you know, so. But anyway, Luke, Sorry. no, it's okay. It's great. Well, a lot of people brought things. It's like when you go camping, you bring a little bit of extra this, a little bit of extra that. Everybody brings something if you say you're going to do something. So, everyone was bringing things. They could have all, you know, have felt that they were going to do that, but it was already being taken care of. So, mm-hmm. but the one thing I noticed, if I read right, was that the ladies did see Nicodemus and Joseph mm-hmm. getting the body and preparing the body. So I thought, well, if they seen him, why were they still trying to prepare the body? They might not have known that that they were going to prepare the body. They just saw him taking him down and taking him over to gotcha. Joseph's uh, tomb. So they may have just said, "Hey, let's go do this." True. Do you know how I've said, you know? When you read this, sometimes it's like in 3D, when you ask the questions, who, what, where, why, when, and how, you know, and when you're reading the scripture, you got to understand this was a rush job and they really didn't know exactly what was going on. They had all They had this. to get this done before Sabbath. I mean, this that's that's why sure this was, was right. that's why they went to Pilate and said, "Hey, but this this has got to be done." So yeah, you you're absolutely right. It was yeah, a rush and job. And and if it hadn't have been for Joseph of Arimathea, Christ would have been thrown into the whatever what everybody else where the other thieves had been put. 
And but the women have no control whatsoever. I mean, obviously, women were a second class citizen of that time, and which makes it so much more wonderful when you find out the first person that Jesus reveals himself to is Mary Magdalene, who is you know a woman. And they say in order to prove you know a resurrection, you don't go to a woman, a second class citizen, and get it. Like that would have been a horrible way to do it. But that's how God chose to do it. I guess you wouldn't send a little boy to kill a giant either. No, you wouldn't. That's a good point. Yeah. So Luke has got all of this stuff in order. I feel like because he is he is the true historian of all of the gospel writers. So well, and as in the physician too, they 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 were very detailed in the things that they did, mm-hmm. and it it shows in in his uh, uh, the way he opens this. You know, he's establishing his credibility by laying things out in a specific order. That's right. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he's making an excellent case for himself here. So it's obvious that there's other you know, written word that's been going around that's been believed by others. And so he's telling this most excellent Theophilus, like, look, I'm trying to show you this is what we believe. And so when he says we, what we believe, it's sort of separating him from Theophilus. Theophilus isn't a believer, but he's making a case for them. And I think Theophilus is trying to understand it, whether he's trying to understand it to squash it, and he's being sort of deceptive, or he's trying to understand what's actually going on, kind of like you know, Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus, they've, you know, they were awaiting the kingdom of God too, and they understood Christ to be the Messiah, but they were only two out of 70 that we know of that became believers out of that group, you know? And so it's an interesting thought there. He thought it was a worthy cause to investigate the truth behind those gospels and to further expound in order for that, because he believed he had a perfect understanding of all things. We do know that Throughout this gospel, he mentions that Mary kept these things in her heart, that it was prior to him writing this letter, Mary hadn't said these things out loud. To me, when he says, and Mary kept these things in her heart, it tells me that he is interviewing Mary. So he sat down with the mother of Jesus and has been saying and talking to her, and she said, yes, this happened, and I've just kept it in my heart this whole time. Yes, this happened. It's so awesome. It's like God allowed these two to meet so that this story, the whole narrative from the mother's perspective, even gets to get out. Well, and and, and I think Luke specifically uh, is, is the right person because as a physician, he would have questioned everything. Mm-hmm. He, he would have been naturally curious, and he would have questioned everything, and he also would have questioned other people. And then wanted to have, okay, let's have a timeline. Let's see A to B to C. Let's let's walk this through. Sure. I think the good thing and the bad thing about the Bible is the good thing is is it gives you the facts. Uh, the, the bad thing is, and, and maybe it's good in some ways, uh, it doesn't give you a lot of the surrounding circumstances. So you, you have to kind of fill that in. But not having all that there allows you uh, to become part of the story and to get more and more interested in it because you put yourself in it. And it, I mean, for me, when I'm reading these, I was, what would it be like to be there? And what would I be thinking? So, you know, you've got hundreds of followers and you have something that happens. Well, only the group of 20 or 30 people right around him can hear it, and then it gets spread out mm-hmm. from there. And so you don't get just one person's point of view when this happens. And, and for the Gospels especially, you know, they're, they're getting this uh, from the people that were there. They weren't there. They're getting it from the people that were there. Sure. So Yes. So, Billy, whenever 
I actually don't really know. Were you raised in church your whole life? Yeah. yeah. You were? Yeah, very young age. Yeah. So I always went to church every Sunday, Wednesday nights, vacation Bible school. So Right. Do you feel like if you had paid more attention while you were in church that you would know more? Do you feel like the church didn't really cover some of like some of the things that we're talking about? It's it's not really that it's we're not really that advanced, but we're just taking a little bit more time digging into those verses. I think for me, it was just emotions, just going to church, listening. Um, as I got older, um, like like Ralph has said, you you put yourself in those positions. Um, for instance, like I know I don't contribute a lot to this, but this is more of a learning experience for me. Um, and this is kind of rewinding back a couple podcasts ago where I, I didn't realize the the prayer that Jesus made to God about if there's any, you know, take this cup from me. I, I had no clue about that. Um, I just thought Jesus was was here for, you know, the cross and us and, and, and all that. And, and that made me kind of just like God has a plan for all of us, even Jesus. He's not going to change it. He didn't change it for Jesus. He didn't change it. You know, we're talking about, you know, um, he didn't alter the plan, call an audible uh, for for the Son of God, you know. Um, so he has a plan for all of us. So that really made me think. And even like, you know, you guys were talking about a verse, and I looked more into that, and it was like, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but was this the first time that the Bible actually said that Jesus kneeled? In prayer? I think so, because every time before that, it says, then he looked up into the heavens and prayed. Yeah. I think this is the time that he actually— Like, he just kind of fell and just like, you know, it said the blood fell down, like or the, the sweat, just so much praying. Like, is, is there any other way? And if if this is your will, let it be done. So this is, I, and I, like I said, it's just like, just, just a learning experience for me. So I, I don't think church failed. It just, I wasn't listening. Mm-hmm. And and this is a good way for me to listen. Well, I have to disagree about something you said earlier when you said you don't contribute that much. Because when when you're here and when you bring something up, a lot of times it makes me think, okay, that's a different point of view. And 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 this is something that we're we're talking about our different points of view. And then I go home thinking about what you said and your point of view and trying to it make it helps make me try to think of other people's point of view. And it's something that came to what you just brought to me is something that I hadn't thought of before. And because you said it, my brain thought of it. Jesus is praying and he's sweating and he's praying and he's sweating. So you have this struggle Mm -hmm. between the man in him Mm -hmm. and the God in him struggling and and I'd never thought about that before. So that's another way of thinking about no matter if you're talking as much as I am or as much as Rick is, but you're still contributing and it, it brings other things to light. And there are other people out there too that uh, may be in the same position as you, that maybe you just went to school but to church because you were supposed to and you listened and you know some of the stories and you feel this way about those things, but you didn't really think about it. And now we're at a point in our lives where we're really trying to understand uh, what those stories were and we're studying. And I think the fact that you are looking at this now and studying uh, could give help 
to those people out there that may feel the same way as you, that, hey, you know, I was the same way, or I'm thinking the same thing, uh, and, and maybe that will spur other people that, that, that listen to this. And I hope we do launch it and people do listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope it'll spur people to do just that, uh, to learn more. Uh, and as they learn more, sharing that with others, uh, which is what we're doing, which is the Great Commission, which is why I'm here to begin with. Mm-hmm. I'm going to agree with Ralph about you, as far as your contribution. You absolutely contribute to this. Mm-hmm. And asking that question, you made me think about his prayer. I don't know if you know this, but when Jesus is kneeling, you know, I'm I'd never really thought of it that way, that this is the first time he knelt, but I think you're right. But he was being crushed at this point. You got to understand the whole purpose of his life was to die for the sins of mankind. When Adam and Eve sinned, you remember when we talked about how he said, if you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. But then they ate of the fruit, but did they physically die? Not yet, no. Not immediately. It was 900 years later. But if he said in the day, God said in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Satan said, oh, you won't surely die. But God said in the day that thou eatest of the fruit, you will surely die. So the question is, is God a liar? No, because I would say that from the moment that they ate of the fruit, they began to decay. They they died spiritually. Mm-hmm. It was a spiritual death. They were separated from God. Yeah. God yeah. kicked them out of the garden because of this, so that they couldn't eat of the tree of life to have eternal life. They could not have that knowledge of good and evil and that sin and live forever. He couldn't allow it and wouldn't allow it. And so they were kicked out. Right. God, when I think about hell, I don't think about fire and brimstone. I think about being separated from God and God's grace. Yes. I mean, it's definitely—I mean, he does talk about being cast into outer darkness and all of that. But at that prayer time, he's saying, let this cup pass from me. It's my belief—now, this is my belief. Everybody can disagree with me, okay? But I think physical death was part of God's original creation anyhow, because there are seasons, and you can't have seasons unless there is death, period. There were seasons in the garden, okay? He gave these signs for seasons. If there's seasons, then there is death. Am I wrong? Winter is death. Well, you'd have to say that he planned on death because he already knew Jesus was going to die before the foundation of the earth. Absolutely right. Yeah. So that's, I mean, there's no, he's not a liar. He had a plan. So this is the most amazing part to me about what you just said. He's in the press. He's being, he's being crushed. He's being squeezed. Blood is coming out of him. His sweat was as great drops of blood. If you can imagine a wine press where they're sitting there pressing, he is being crushed. And it says— It's like he's feeling the weight of the sins of the world. That's because Mm -hmm. all of our sins are being put on him. Right. He is literally taking them away. In order for us to have eternal life, Christ has to take all of the sin, past, present, future. He has to take them all. Imagine being responsible for every human being's sin ever. No, thanks. Mm-mm. But Christ— sin, is, sin isn't just act. It's also thought. Did you know at that prayer that he prayed for you, Billy Kimsey? Did you know that? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
because he says, I have kept all of them that you have given me. Yeah, because he, he's dying for us. But he actually says, I don't only, I don't only pray for the ones that you've given me, but I pray for those that who believe me and have not seen me. And if we believe him, he prayed for Blessed you. are those who believe that have not seen. And so he's saying, I pray for them. And if he's praying for them, that means that he was praying for you under the weight of the world. He prayed for Billy Kimsey. He prayed for all of us, actually, period. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point that you bring out, you know? All right, so let's get back to it. So, Andy, you've been very quiet today. Yes. Yes. So, when you, you told Only me— Only because you can't hear me eating. Because oh. I have the ability Andy's to mute always, my mic. Andy's always the twist. He always comes in at the at, 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 and asks something that nobody else in the room usually asks. And then you're like, why didn't I ever say that? Or why didn't I think of that? That, that tire screeching, yes. <laughs> but when you told me that um, in one of the first podcasts that you had, you know, had went to church and, and done different things, you know, as far as your approach to the Bible— do you have an opinion in regard to the Bible? I really want to know it. In what way specifically? What do you mean? What is your opinion of the Bible as a whole? Do you feel like it's a, a book of fables? Do you think it's just some I good— I think it's a bunch of allegory, largely. Or at least some of it's allegory and some of it's probably true to life and some of it's probably amalgamations of uh, different events mm -hmm. kind of put into one. Uh, yeah, I think there's kind of—it's a little bit of the all of the above mm -hmm. approach. I don't—, I don't yeah, I don't think it's necessarily wise or anything like that. It's just, I think it's frequently not literal truth. Or mm -hmm. or if it is where it is, you know, literal truth, it's in short bursts or, again, like amalgamations of people's lives to sure. create one continuous story with a, a slightly better actual arc than, right. than life has. Yeah. Life has a shitty arc. Amen. Have you ever read it? Parts of it. Uh, I got all the way through Genesis, and uh, I was on a mission to read it at one point, and then I kind of got to the, you know, what the, I don't even know what the second part of the Bible is called. Exodus or New Testament? Uh, no, probably just Exodus. You know, it's a lot of laws and stuff, and uh, I started skimming, and I just, it defeated Leviticus. me. Leviticus. Yeah, it's like I just, Ralph oh. with Deuteronomy. It's like, oh, Yeah, it defeated me, here? and I just yeah. never went back to it. And uh, I should have at least tried. I think I tried to skip to Revelation. Pass or the Torah and then start reading. <laughs> That's a uh, yeah. Reading Revelation without the Old Testament is a terrible idea. It, uh, it's hard. <laughs> reading to Revelation that book. is hard to interpret, even if you've read the Bible several times. It is. Yeah. There's a lot of symbology in that. Without having the Old Testament, you'll never understand the Book of Revelation. You really won't understand the New Testament. In fact, you can't understand the Old Testament without the New Testament because the New Testament is like the primer for the Old Testament. You know, a great example is for like uh, whenever Hosea says, Out of Egypt I've called my son, and he's talking about Israel. Out of Egypt I call my son. But in the book of Matthew, who's trying to prove the Messiah, Jesus is, you know, trying to escape. You know, Herod, remember, whenever the, the, the killing of the innocents, and they take him to Egypt, and then he brings them back from Egypt to Nazareth. And it says, as it says in the, the, to the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. But yet he was talking about Israel. And so when you read that, then you suddenly see, wait a minute, 
Christ says, I am the true vine, and God says that the vine or the vineyard is Israel, he's the true Israel. And that is the, the beginning of the second exodus. And then he gets baptized, like going through the Red Sea. And then they go 40 years in the wilderness, and Christ is tempted. 40 days he's in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. You can see these parallels. Without the New Testament, you wouldn't understand it. Did you know that all young Hebrew boys were required to memorize the Torah prior to their 12th year? Memorize it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. So whenever Christ goes, and remind me, Andy, uh, the infancy gospel of Thomas, we talked about in the side study. I did find that where it talked about where he struck a child down. I want to read that at the end. It's very interesting. But they had to memorize the Torah. And so by the time that Christ gets to the temple, and when he's, you know, 12 years old, and then the parents leave, and then they're like, where's Jesus? And they go back to get him. And they're like, do you realize what you've done to us? And he says, do you know not that I was to be about my father's business? The whole reason is because the bar mitzvah is whenever they're 12 years old, they're going to take on the family, you know, the family job, whatever that is. Was he going to be a carpenter? No, he was a minister of God's word. He was God's word in the flesh, right? He was doing the family's business. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. So, and and Cherry, for you, like, what does the word of God mean to you? And then we'll get into John and then we'll wrap this up. What does the Word of God mean to me? Yeah, if you think about your approach to the Bible prior to becoming a believer to now, like, what do you think? What do you think about the Bible? Uh, it's my everything, really. Mm-hmm. If I don't—I used to say all the time, life doesn't have an instruction manual. I don't know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. Um, baloney. The even, a great I'm going to tell you manual. something. Even if you were not a believer, there's absolutely no way that you're going to find something in that Bible that would not keep you from doing something stupid to yourself or somebody else. Even if you didn't believe that Christ was Christ or that anything else happened, if you were just to go by what the they tell you, the Bible tells you in the Word of God to do or not to do, mm-hmm. you would never harm yourself or anybody else. Life, love, finance—it's all there. Yeah. There's nothing in there. There's there's no problem that you're going to come across that in reality you can't find the answer to right there. Mm-hmm. Even if it's sitting there going, well, I'm going to have to have faith. I'm going to have to believe in this, that I'm going to get through this, that he has a plan for me. Just like you said, you know, if this be possible to take this away from me, not not my will, but thy will, there's times I'm sure everybody here has had it happen. There's things in your life that, Somehow along the way, you've been asked to do that. Obviously, you'd be like, pick anybody else but me. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's the best thing for you and whoever else it's involving. So to me, when I come across the Word of God at 37, I was just like, wow, finally, the answers to everything that I've ever not known an answer to, even though I obviously don't know everything that Bible says, but I've never found anything in it that told me wrong misguided me or hurt me in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. There's, I like the fact that year after year after year, people have tried to disprove it. And year after year after year, it holds up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even if somebody wanted to look at it and say, okay, these were just common people doing whatever they were doing, they apparently knew something better than we did. 
I remember Andy even saying, you know, to aspire to what Christ stood for. Like even, you know— for, oh, oh, yeah, that oh, yeah, that holds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like you said, that would be a nice thing if we all would adhere to that same policy, to love your neighbor as yourself, you know, to to love one another, to, you know, to to do that. Very, just, very good uh, either Taoist or Taoist teaching, so I'm not sure. But. The— to have the that was by way of a joke. Nobody knows. Well, I don't know a lot about Taoism. I just remember a book called The Tao of Pooh, and I remembered I wanted to write my own book called Cooking with Pooh. <laughs> but it just it just fell on deaf ears, and they thought that's really gross, bro. Oh, it's like in, in era America. Mel Gibson has this thing around his neck, and said he got his toe shut off, shot off, and he was carrying it with him. It's kind of like toeism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the reason I've, I, I'm not really hesitating to get to the resurrection, but I want to make something clear, something that I had never really put two and two together all all of these years that I've read is Christ's death. Although he died physically, Christ died spiritually. In order to be the second Adam, according to the scriptures, he had to take all that sin and die with it. In other words, what you're what you're seeing when he when the world goes dark, when he cries out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" is because his God is forsaking him. This isn't a joke. Allowing him to become sin. Yes. He has taken all the sin and the father has rejected his own son because of his holiness. I've never, if you let that sink in for just a little bit, his own son, his own being, his essence of him, the physical representation of Yahweh, of him, spiritually killed on behalf of us. If you want to talk about love for humanity, God the Father really loves us. He really, really does. And so he's trying, you know, he he's showing us that by allowing this word to be here. No, it wasn't written to us, but it was absolutely written for us. Well, and anyone who has kids knows that love. Mm-hmm. Whether it's kids, stepkids, aunts, uncles, everyone who has children like that in their life knows that love. And that's the love that God has for us. I, I mean, I agree with you, but also there's a lot of crappy parents in the world. I mean, I think that— Well, there is. I used to put all of my problems between me and my father to God, you know, for a long time, you know. But I, I was talking about the parents, was, the parents having children. Even if they're a crappy parent, they still yeah, love their child in, that way. Sure. I mean, I, I can imagine— you know, I think even a parent without the true love of God, even looking at their own child, doesn't have the same love without the love of God. If a parent is not a believer, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that they love their child and would do anything for them. And Are you there's speaking just from something experience? different. Are you, exp- are you explain the experience, different. though? Um, I, I agree and I disagree. So I agree if you weren't a Christian, you became a Christian. You can't disagree for, until she tells you. <laughs> but for those people that don't know God, I don't think that makes them a less of a parent. And I don't think they love their no, child any less them, than they would if they found out about God and became a Christian. When you, 
when you look at the love that God has for his children, and you say anybody that has a child understands that love or, or loves like that, they can't love like that without the love of God, because you can't relate to the love of God if you don't experience the love of God. I can say to someone, I love you. I can do all these acts of kindness. I can, you know, in my mind, I can think that this is love and that's what I'm doing. But when you finally come to the realization that you're lacking love in your life, true love, which is the love of God, and you experience that and you look around at others, you even love your children different. Mm -hmm. You love everyone different. I say that from experience. Don't get me wrong. I'd have killed you for my kids well before I became a Christian. And I kind of justified it and, you know, went on and on and on about it. But now you won't kill them for your kids because you love God. If I'm stuck in a position bad enough, I will still kill you for my kids. Yes. But I will drop the F bomb in the right position. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, I have had situations where looking back previously before experiencing the love of God, probably would have reacted very irrationally, maybe done something that I probably shouldn't have done. But because of the love of God, have chose to react differently. Mm -hmm. You can't really say that you understand something if you don't ex if you don't really experience it. Does that make sense to you? I understand what you're saying. I just don't agree. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I similarly don't agree. As a matter of fact, I think your reasoning is entirely inverted. Possibly. I I, I don't think you could possibly understand anything about the love of God, even one that I don't necessarily believe in, if you didn't understand anything about love of another human being, like you a do. true of another human being. There's no way you could have a concept. I'm saying there's two different levels there. Does that make sense to you? There's two different levels. Like people can go through a whole lifetime and be like love one another, like I said, and do great acts of kindness to each other. And it's not that you're going to go out and kill people or anything like that. It's not what I'm saying. To say that just because you have a child that you can relate to the love of God in that way, I would say no, because you have to experience the love of God to relate that love like that. Does that make sense? Like, not saying that you don't care, that you don't love. No, no, no. I didn't think you were saying you didn't care. I just, because the love of God seems to be something entirely that exists kind of in your sensory experience, like something that you have to assign a value to it. Like the love of God is a nice day or the love of God is this good thing that's happened to me. Or, you know, the love of God is the joy of my children. But there's no, there's only a value there that you assign to it. And you can only assign value that you understand. The love of God is not a thing apart from you. It's not a thing apart from your experience. It's entirely experiential and it has the value you've given it. So how can you have a level of love greater than any experience of joy or love that you've ever had because there is no love of God that you have not. Wow, what's the right way to say no, this? No, no, no. I, I am, I am right there with you because I believed that way prior. I, I believed exactly what you just said prior to my conversion. And I, I hate using the word conversion. But it's the only way I can say it. 
the love of God is such a unique kind of love that you can't as actually describe it as a human prior to having him inside of you. In other words, my value system existed prior. That's what you're saying. We already had that value. And then it, you know, it's developed through experience or whatever. And so th- those values might raise or lower, but th- we already had that sort of value inside of us. But the love of God changed my value system. It from the in, it like took it and made it inside out. I suddenly began to see people that were my direct enemy. And then rather than, you know, yeah, I just want to stay away from them. Yeah. This thing you're describing literally happened to me through aging. Yeah. Like that exact experience happened to me. It's just, that's, I mean, how do you, and it's another thing, how do you tear apart the person you would have become without God from the person you are with God? There's no way for you to know that. Mm-hmm. There's no way for you to know that. Like you just mellow as you age, you become in most cases, more patient and more forgiving and more understanding of the humans around you with mm-hmm. or without God. And, and, like, I and maybe God is necessary. Maybe, maybe that helps those stories speak to you in such a way that helps you grow faster than maybe you would have otherwise before. Mm-hmm. But you have no idea. You can't say, I'm better now, because you have no idea who you were otherwise. No, I mean— Granted, how would I know who I would have been at the age that I'm at right now had I not and this had might all the experiences have absolutely that made you better? You know what I mean? It might have, but you just I don't know. You're just guessing. Well, I wasn't saying it was this. It was the same love. I was just saying people that have children can understand that type of love. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's exactly the same. So, because my love of the, you know I love God differently than I love my children, but I don't believe I love my children less than I love God. Well, I don't think that people who don't have the love of God don't know how to love their children, by no means. That's, you know, not what I'm saying, I'm sure. I'm just saying in your experience, not only with the love of God, but wouldn't you have to say you might have an understanding to a point of anything, but once you experience something personal, your understanding then becomes much more. Would you not think so? Yeah, I mean, I think what Andy's saying is that he could do that without, with it, like this was like a natural occurrence for him. As he aged, he began to mellow out. He began to feel differently and think and the specific example the Rick was about to give. Yes, that's. Well, would you yeah. say that? So, Andy, it wouldn't be something for you to say. I have the understanding of the love of God. No, right? No, because you all don't have each other's understanding of the love of God. You could right, sit there all, and yeah. talk about it right. all day long, but you will never get at the core of Billy's understanding of God's love. It right. will never happen. Mm-hmm. That is because your understanding of God's love is uh, personal. It's, it's different. absolutely yeah. personal and viewed mm-hmm. through the lens of your own experiences. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but also, it has a description, like what the love of God is throughout the scriptures. It's the constant definition of it. So if you're reading these definitions, then that become it can become your experience just through reading and learning, right? Sure, like a guided shared thing. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what that's what sharing ideas is. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of like the difference in these gospels. Each one wrote the gospels from the perspective that they received from the accounts that they had. That's why they're. All from a different perspective. Yeah, much. I mean, I think yeah. that is. I mean, that's a good way to put it. Sure. I mean, I think each gospel has its own unique perspective, 
And from that perspective, you learn something about Christ, about, you know, that's what the Gospels are, are about Christ. Well, yeah, we even said that first podcast, maybe all, well, now our, 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 our drove has grown now. It was just three of us. You know, you, you said that, you know, all five of us could see a car wreck. All five of us would tell a different story. Mm-hmm. Ten years from now, we tell another story. You know, it, it would just just five preachers could be given the same message with the same. Okay, you stick to these three sentences, and this is the story, and we tell you what the story is about, and we agree as three pastors or five pastors that this is the story and this is the meaning, and then you get them up there to say what they have to say, and it would come across differently all five times. Sure. Mm -hmm. There would be a core to it that was the same, but each one would have little embellishments. Different flavor. That had a different flavor, and all of those different flavors would be, in turn, interpreted differently by everybody that heard it, which wouldn't take away, probably, from the core truth of a car crash, Mm -hmm. I don't think. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Oh, yeah. But absolutely, every... It's just the telephone game. There's a little spin on it every time. Yeah. Always a car crash, though. Yeah, and to sort of finish the idea that I had earlier, I guess what I was trying to say is that because of everything that I've learned, so I had my personal experience, of course. I had a lot of things that I'd done wrong in my life, and I didn't feel like I could even approach God. Once I'd already said that He didn't exist, and I'd done all these things, and I felt like I was you know, way, way, way off, and that, you know, if if He is a holy God, then there's no way He would take me. And it, <clears throat> to to come to that point of being penitent and and really broken and contrite and saying, okay. You know, I do understand that I'm broken inside. I do know that now. And even though I don't understand all of this other stuff, I want to accept what Christ did. I see what he did, and I want to accept that for myself. If you really are that gracious, that's what you're going to do for me. So when I did that, then I this weight of the world came off of me because I realized that he loved me regardless— and that was something I wasn't used to. I didn't have that in a natural man state. I didn't have somebody just love me regardless. I even had I had conditional love from my family. I had conditional love everywhere. This was a love that was still conditional, but it was a unique condition. It was a condition where he had done something for me in order to enter into that condition. Am I, am I making sense here? Yes, yeah, I actually. think that goes back to what Andy said. I think it's yeah. all experiential because mm-hmm. I've always known the love of God as far as I can remember back to when I could understand in second grade to come up and receive Holy Communion. And even though my experience from other people hasn't always been perfect, um, I've always loved everybody else unconditionally. Mm-hmm. I thought they're not. There aren't any conditions to my love with my kids, with my friends, with people I meet on the street. It is unfortunate that that is not true for everyone. I know it is, that it, is it, really it is. not. Yeah, it is really not true for everyone. I think part of it for me was a choice because at certain parts and times in my life, things were happening to me that I felt I could spin out of control, and I just said, "Look, I don't want to be this way anymore." So I'm going to choose to go that way. I've, I've been lucky in my life that the Lord has placed people in it to put thoughts in my head that say, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And uh, I've always believed that, you know, I can. And the, which comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know, once I made that decision and I'd had that experience, then, you know, as I was reading the scriptures and trying to get to know this God that people said loved me and this Christ that did these things for me and really not even understanding it all and still not, you know, I'm only scratching the surface. 
But then to see myself exercise a love that didn't exist in me prior because of what had been done for me. I guess, you know, maybe my natural man could explain that too. I I don't know. There's no way I'd be able to tell you what I would be like. It absolutely could be that you learning slash believing that this, you know, this great gift was given to you was what you needed to convince you to change your opinion and actions. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it did. It changed my core. It did. What I'm saying doesn't take away from your ability to learn and grow from the gospel. Right. Well, I Does think that the more sense? you learn, yeah. the more you grow, the more you have understanding. So let those that have ears to hear, let them let, let them hear. Right. Yeah, it doesn't you're, doesn't change your ability to learn. You're not going to understand until you're in a place to understand and a lot of that is experiential or through study. Mm-hmm. Which is why exactly. we're here to tell everybody else out there if if you disagree with something we say, if you don't know about something we say, weirdly the theme of this episode. I encourage <laughs> you to do some research of your own and th- and, and thank the Lord for Google and and curse Google uh, because there's a lot of misinformation. So oh get at God, least three yes. sources. Oof, many that, sources uh, say the same thing. Please, everyone, listen uh, start, to him when he says source your work. Start yes. start with the Bible. And then there are pastors throughout the world that will pick up the phone and answer you. You leave a message on their answer machine, say you have a question about this, someone's going to call you back. You know, the, 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 we're up here to help other people understand who Christ is. We're here to introduce you to Christ. But I could introduce you to Christ and you could say you believe, but that's just where it starts. Yeah, I mean, we want to talk about, you know, like I said, the reason I wanted us to start this podcast was because... There were so many things that were laid out for me prior to becoming a Christian that once I became a Christian, I just sort of fell in line with which was already aligned for me. And then as I studied the Scripture on my own, like you just said, then I began to see that there were differences. And then, oh my goodness, were there differences. I mean, you go on Wikipedia and you say, amillennialism, and then you click on that, and then it says, you know, different from the you know, partial preterist and the full preterist, and then you have the futurist, and then you have the premillennialist, and you have the, you know, and you're like, good gosh, how can so many people argue over the same thing? And they do. It happens all the time. Like, oh my gosh, the factions of Christianity is insane to me. But so I decided I want to just say what I've read and not necessarily just take this position and say, oh, this is how it is. But I want to say, I'm saying this because I read this, and this is how I interpreted it. Hey, a lot of people read the same verses I do and interpret it completely differently, but my opinion counts more than theirs. <laughs> Thank you for nice. laughing. I was well, joking. Nice. Well, that, that would well, be personal. Again, that was the theme of this podcast as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's just nobody saw a joke coming at the end of that, so we all had to sit like, here. Well, we all had to sit here and figure that out. Yeah. I mean, I say it in every podcast. If you don't believe me, it's because you're just simply not listening to me. No, well, I mean, and for all you pastors out there, pick up the phone and or write a letter. Just write a letter and say this is. This is what your understanding should be. And and I'll read it, and I will take a look at it, and I will comment on it. Yeah, and the greatest news is that the Burroughs of Berea does not have a mailing address yeah. or a website. So, go <laughs> we'll, ahead and write that letter and mail it. Yeah, I yeah. don't know where to send it to. I think we'll, everybody knows every time you say giraffe studios. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No. I will forward the mail, yeah. I promise. We'll send you back a donkey wow. <laughs> Well, this, this, is, this has been awesome. So, let's, let's rein this back in and let's wrap up this podcast because the next episode will be a side study, but after that, 
um, we really are going to get into the account of the resurrections. And I can't say this enough. The resurrection, to me, is the it's this catalyst for change in everybody's life. When I used to see people shout whenever they talked about, and he rose on that third and glorious morning, I didn't understand why they were shouting. Because I was like, what's the big deal? I mean, I get he rose from the dead, but I've heard all this, you know, until it became something for me personally, experientially, that I learned. Then I understood why some of these people were shouting. This is an amazing thing, and it's in a spiritual realm. Like he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Oh, do I have to go back in the womb? He's like, oh, don't, don't marvel at what I say. Yeah, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit, and the resurrection is a spiritual thing, and it happens now. It can happen right now. It's awesome. Anyway, so if you don't mind, Ralph. I'm just going to ask, do I get to read John? I would like you to read John. <laughs> Leadership begins with identity. Jesus led from who he was. That's a comment uh, by someone, and I really like that. Leadership begins with identity. Jesus led from who he was. Hmm. That's good. Read the first five verses of John, if you don't mind. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Very good. So anyone that has read this gospel, if you've read Genesis, you start to see the parallels right out the gate, you know? And so I'll read Genesis uh, 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. And if you remember in that one of those first podcasts, I said that this wasn't the sun. This was light. This was the separation of light and darkness. And later on in this gospel, he says, and then there was a man named John, you know, and he was not that light, but he came to testify of the light. So who's the light? Jesus. Yes, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? And then he talks about, stumbling in the day and or stumbling at night and walking in the day like this gospel has a light and dark theme throughout it throughout isn't it, it interesting that the very beginning of the bible talks about the trinity yes god the spirit of god and the light of jesus that's right the light now if you were you know in the jehovah's witnesses believe that he that was god's first creation was light you know like and so that that's when christ was made he was the first one made Okay, that's where that comes from. However, John 1.1 really distinguishes that he was the word, which means, and God said. Once the said makes light, and we know all things were created through him, then when he said that he is the very word of God, he is the physical representation of the things when you hear God speak. But if you remember, when Jesus is being baptized and he comes out of the water, it says in God spoke from heaven, this, this is my is beloved my son, son in whom I am well, well pleased. pleased. So if he's speaking, 
do you see what I mean? Like you can <laughs> you can get hung up in some deep, dark, you know, doctrinal holes here if you want to. But I think that the the author of John is making it very clear. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was, was God. God. The Jehovah's Witnesses have retranslated the Bible and said was a God. That's an incorrect translation. It is not possible to be a God, no matter how much they want to argue. I've heard plenty of debates about this. It is literally was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He was there. So God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all together during the creation point. Okay. So and for anybody that wants to do a deeper study, Melissa Scott does uh, Hebrew and Greek because this was Hebrew and then Greek uh, and some Aramaic. So she does some deep dives, and on her, on the website, uh, there's a, probably a dozen words that you can look up. And so she translates and tells you how the words are and what the punctuation is and what the meanings of the words are. So if you're looking to take a deeper dive into words themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that stuff's real that fun where you run into it sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I love doing word studies like that, you know, getting into the original Hebrew word and the original. It's like, I think is said, is. What's that? <laughs> nice. I got it. I is, got is. it. Was that a Clinton reference? It sure was. It Define sure was. the word yeah. is. Okay. Oh, that depends. That depends on what you mean by the word is. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. It's. I hate to say this. That's brilliant. Yeah. You talk about, like, stopping a bunch of people in their tracks. <laughs> Pull he that one out. He should have just said none your business. Yeah. Can't do that whenever you're the leader. You only get in trouble when you lie. <laughs> the country. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the only people have ever been convicted. Yeah. For all of that stuff, they did just the only thing I've ever been convicted of is lying. Yeah, that was that was his crime as well. Yes. Yeah. Just well, don't lie. Hey, you know how can you be a politician and not lie? Yeah. Right. Even yeah. Jesus Man. said that. Yeah. He said, "If you love those that love you." Even the Republicans do that. <laughs> he said publicans, but I like to say. <laughs> anyway, so this the gospel writer of John, he he set himself apart from the other gospels because Mark says he was the son of God. And then Matthew says the son of Abraham, the son of David. And then Luke is like, let me show you the true historical account of how all this was out for, you know, to Theophilus. But this one says, oh, he was God. That's a that's a more advanced thought. And that tells me that he most likely this gospel comes last. That's how I interpret it. And I've done some research and they believe that John's gospel is the last of those gospels that were written that was accepted into the canon. And I always thought that he was speaking to the Jewish people because he took this back to the beginning in Genesis because they were preaching to everyone but the, the many of the Jewish people didn't believe and I thought that he was using that to speak to his own brethren, the people that that he had grown up with that were Jewish, to say, hey, this is where this starts and begins, and let me take you through it. That's excellent, because uh, one of the things that I heard uh, a scholar say was that John's gospel was written in the highest form of the Greek language, like it was a highly educated version, but it had to have been written by a Hebrew because he was like, it was just like you said, it was like he was trying to tell his family and his friends, like right. this, you know, to a Hebrew, this is, you know, it's it's pretty cool. That's cool. That's cool that you picked that up. So the other thing about, about John is, uh, give me a second to look back here at the bottom of the notes I wanted. Okay. Yeah. So I was talking about the light and the darkness. And if you go into the 
that theme you see in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus comes to him by night. But Nicodemus becomes a believer, but he comes in the darkness. It's kind of like being lost or in the dark and then suddenly being made aware and coming into the light. So Christ explaining to him about the Son of Man being lifted up is something that stuck with Nicodemus. Nicodemus would see him later in this gospel, high and lifted up, you know, on this cross and would end up taking him down off of it. But also, whenever he says in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And then you get to right before Lazarus is resurrected and the disciples are, you know, away out, you know, in Judea and or out of Judea. And they say, he's like, let us go back to Judea because we're going to go to Lazarus. And they're like, they're going to stone you. And he says, hey, you know, are there not 12 hours in the day? You know, he's, he's showing that he is this light, and while the light is here, this is the way we're going, but there will come a time whenever it's going to you know, be really dark. That darkness, in my opinion, was the three, those three hours on the cross. That's that moment. But while I'm in the light, this is when we're going, you know? He would have resurrected Lazarus out of a dark tomb. Um, and then, uh, you know, the the one of the most interesting things that I hadn't picked up on until I started writing these notes was that... In the Gospel of John, with the theme of light and dark, it's the only gospel that doesn't mention the darkness at the cross. I thought that would have been a perfect thing to bring up. I'm like, why didn't he bring? He was there. He was there. He could have mentioned that it was dark. But there's something unique about this transaction that's going on between Christ and the Father. That darkness is understood in the other synoptic gospels, but this gospel writer wants you to understand exactly what he's going through. And he gives his mother to him, you know, behold your mother. And then this is, this is it. And he's, you know, he, this is, it's just strange to me that he doesn't mention the darkness considering that he'd been, he'd had that theme the entire time. Um, Yeah. The gospel is, this is the only one where you have this true account at the cross Whereas the other ones are describing it, he's describing it from being there. And that this, he says, you know, behold thy mother, and then mother, behold thy son. And then you find out that the one that he does this to is the actual one that wrote the book. You know, that's kind of unique. And then also, um, like I said before, that there was a minimum of two writers of the Gospel of John, a minimum, because at the end he says, that and this is the disciple who wrote these things and testifies these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And the only way that we know, there could have been 10 editors. There's no way to tell there was just one. But when you read the Gospel of John, you will find little little sentences that are interesting that make you feel like it's someone else that's speaking. I feel like that's the editor. I don't know. I'm not a scholar. I, there's no way I would be able to know that. Well, everything has been interpreted from a different language, so there was a there was an editor somewhere. Yeah, it's in like a lot in, of this in the book of Genesis, you know, on the creation of the the sun and the moon, and he says he created the sun uh, to guide the day, to rule the day, and then he created the moon to rule at night. You know, to be a lesser light. Then it's like there's a little add on. It says, and he made the stars also. <laughs> Have you ever read that? It's kind of like billions of stars. He's talking about, so he made the sun and he made the lesser light, the moon. Oh, oh yeah, and he made the stars also. It's <laughs> kind of like an afterthought. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, and he made the stars. Threw some glitter on it. It's <laughs> almost like at the end, Moses was like, oh, man, I forgot to put that he made the stars. 
that's what it feels. You know, when I read it, because I was like, that's an interesting way of saying that. You know, there are stars much, much, much larger than our sun, you know, <laughs> he made them also, you know. Oh, yeah, by the way, you know, and he calls them by name. So that's interesting. Well, I think, I think that this is it right here. I think that, in my opinion, we've, we've let everybody know that each one of the gospel writers had a specific theme in mind or a description of who they believed Jesus was, and he was all of these things. But when you put the narrative together at the end, there's a lot of people that'll say, oh, you can't put them all together and then make a story. Or whatever. Oh, yes, we can, because there are different perspectives, and we will put this story together into a narrative that is understood, that is in harmony, even though it's hard to understand how you can have a person show up before the sun and then it, another book say it shows up after the sun has risen. How do you do it? When we reconstruct this, it's kind of like putting back the engine. There's going to be extra parts, oh, but yeah. it'll still run. <laughs> There's always extra parts. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. Uh, be sure to, uh, to join next week on our next uh, Burrowbury study. So thanks, Cherry, Ralph, Billy, and Andy. Thank, Thank you, you, Rick. See hey, man, thanks. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next time. Now, but just keep in mind that we as Burroughs are the shade tree mechanics, not the actual good <laughs> hey, mechanics. Hey, we're the, we can't be the shade tree mechanics because I made business cards for my friend as a kid, uh, and we were the shade tree mechanics. And I still have one of those business cards from 1979. Really? Wow. Yeah. Man. I was two. <laughs> you were And I was in high school on a printing press. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, anyway, so we'll get into that. Next week, we're going to have a side study. Uh, I'm going to wrap up the the very last things on Lazarus, and it's only going to be a short time, and then we'll get into the next part. Yeah, but I want to do a side study on Lazarus because there's very little information on Lazarus and who he was and when he was born and when he died. Yeah. So you want to do it on the actual man himself, like what's known historically? Yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to. If you're just what you're doing is short, I would like to add in something more about Lazarus and yeah, who he that. was, and see if we can find out more information about when he lived and when he died. Because I've been struggling to find more than one person saying their opinion. I, I I've not been able to corroborate anything mm -hmm. about how long he lived, what he did after uh, the crucifixion. Sure. Did he go back? Many of things say he just went back to. They say they, they suppose he went back to doing what he was. So there's very little information I've been able to find and/or corroborate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's funny if you remember. You know, when Christ said that, uh, you know, what if I want him to stay alive until my return? What is that to you, Peter? Follow me. So I think it's very possible that Lazarus could still be alive. <laughs> <laughs> He already died. That's the wages of sin is death. He already died, so he's already paid the penalty. So theoretically, he could still be living today, guys. That's that's yeah. a that's a good cliffhanger right there. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question: If if Adam or Methuselah, Methuselah yeah, lived so nine hundred and sixty nine years, right? <laughs> Let's say Lazarus has been alive for close to two thousand. What do you think? 
I don't want to see him. I, I, <laughs> what is ashes and ashes, dust to dust? I think he's the dust. I think he has some bad breath. Probably. <laughs> he, uh, yeah. he has some fingernails. I have one of the same thing. Though. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Like the world record for fingernails, that guy in India that had those things that he was oh, curled yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the guy with the biggest balls? <laughs> no. no. He was a fertility god. They thought they called him a fertility god. He actually could sit on them. Oh yes, you now that, that I've 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 I read about that. That's Absolutely. supposed to be a good thing. Uh, yeah, he was worshipped. Uh, People work. worshipped him as a fertility god because he had the hugest sack on ever. It was almost like that's know, a bunch of those little bouncy balls yeah. you could like oh. you know sit on and bounce up and down. <laughs> Man, you know, that's amazing. It's that a Guinness that Book of World was, Record. Was born into a culture that would. Yes. Worship him as a fertility god because let me just tell you, limited options for employment. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about right place, right time. It's like, that was it. I know. Thank, uh, thank goodness he was born in that. In what probably Tibet or somewhere? You know, we're like, oh, you know. It reminds me of the Breakfast Club. Whenever uh, Bender says, "I knew a guy that had elephantitis to the nuts. It was disgusting. He, he would always ride in the back, but his nuts would ride shotgun." <laughs> <laughs> probably true oh. for that guy. Hey, speaking of World Guinness Book of World Records, do you do know that the 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 big the world's heaviest twins are from Hendersonville? Yeah, the McCreary yes. brothers. So yeah. I actually knew some relatives of them. Yeah, they were buried in what was a piano box. No, that was the that was the tall that was the heaviest man, a thousand sixty nine pounds. He was he was the heaviest man. He was he was buried in a coffin. Well, the one at the pawn shop there. The size of yeah, that's the Mercury's, isn't yeah. it? I think that was yeah. the same. The twins, right? Yeah, yeah the twins. He's the brother. The one died. Picture what? them on the motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Had a heart attack. Yep. Mm-hmm. The first one had a heart attack and fell yeah. from the Niagara Falls or something. I don't remember some crazy thing. Oh, like wow. that. I don't remember. <laughs> Niagara Falls. I'm sorry, I just the McCreary laughed. brothers. I think I heard I'm one terrible. Of them had a heart attack. Yeah, That's one heck of a cannonball. Go. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you went there, Rick, because I involuntarily laughed about a man's death, and I was like, I was feeling pretty bad about myself till you went in there. Don't. I'll take it to the next level. Yeah. Well, you know, I I'd said in the last, you know, uh, I always pick out these, you know, these Christian teachers. And I was going to pick on the Copelands, and I really, really do want to pick on them, like, pretty hardcore. But I'm not going to do it on this podcast. I'm going to wait. Uh, you know, I don't want to pick on anybody today. You're in Baptist no. country. What? I okay. really do. It's I, good. And you want to know the well, truth? Well, good. I'll do some research on them. The, the truth is, Andy, is that I don't understand copyright law. I don't know if I can play what this joke said. You know, he's a joke. And what he actually said— uh, in regard to the the how God told him that he was going to have three hundred million dollars during the year of COVID, I don't know how copyright law applies to that either. Actually, if it were music, I but would if have you could a read, if you read clue, an article, you sure could read an article. Was. Well, I was curious. I really want everybody to hear him it. say it. I want him to hear him say it himself. The question is: the question is: is that sound recording copyright? That is the right. exact question. Uh, Rick and it comes answered. from his own ministries recording that's been released out and of course people have put it out on YouTube or whatever. You know, I'm not trying to monetize this. It might have I'm, a it might it might be what's that called when uh when everyone has the right to use it even though the owner uh retains copyright. Uh that I forget. I'm not I forget. But but I was there's curious. Yeah, there's it's probably Creative Commons is yeah, what it creative is. Commons. It's probably Creative Commons if everybody else is using it or mm-hmm. it's possible they just don't bother. 
you know. Maybe so, but I'm, I feel like if I make fun of them, you know, that they might try to tell us to cease and desist, which would be fun, actually, to get a letter to tell us to cease and desist, because I want that joke to stop it, doing Yeah, what then we doing. can read the letter. <laughs> that gets sent to Giraffe Studio. <laughs> it's it's one of those it's one of those things. If you get a cease and desist, well, I'll have a little party because we're important enough. Yay! To right. that for somebody to sue us or whatever. Yes. That's not something that happens on a Wednesday. That takes a little traction. That does, yeah. But the guys, they yeah, they have uh, his net worth is somewhere estimated between three hundred and seven hundred and fifty million dollars. He's almost a billionaire, and uh, he he did say this was a very funny one. Maybe I'll find it and play it anyway. <laughs> he he says that y'all just kept on. Didn't yeah, you? he was talking. He was talking yeah. about. He was talking. I'll, I'll, I'm going to stop him in a couple minutes because I already have over a hundred minutes of audio to go through. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like his 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 COVID nineteen. Um, why? I, listen, it's all on. It's all on. Uh, the clock, isn't it, Andy? It's all on the I'm, clock. I'm just trying to help. <laughs> I appreciate you trying. But I think, yeah, he says, uh, let's, you know, let's just play it. What do you say, guys? <laughs> Friday night at 9.24. Now, Gloria and my usual routine is <clears throat> being full of hell. <laughs> and listen to a couple of messages by Brother Hagen. Watch the 700 Club by, you know, 10, 10, 30, turn the light out. Well, we had just listened to Brother Hagin, that first message, and suddenly the word of the Lord came to me. So I, I jumped up and got my notepad and wrote it down. 924. This disease called CODV19 will be over much sooner than you think. CODV? Christian people a bush. all over this country praying have overwhelmed it. Give me all the glory, saith the Spirit of grace. And many, many people will come to know me through it. I'm still Lord over this nation. I'm on the throne, and faith in me changes things. <laughs> that was on uh, March twenty second, two thousand twenty, and so it's still not so over. He Kim. made he made the early call. Yeah, and I love the fact that he called it CODV. Yeah, <laughs> which I have no idea what that is, but God evidently, v- well, we didn't know a lot God about v- it then. So he was being serious. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. In his mind, he believes that he can, you know, get you know, whatever. Yeah, it's some it's some raw raw stuff. You got to give him credit. He probably believes that he probably believed it, right? <laughs> Isn't that megalomania? No. He doesn't no, you, believe it. No, you don't think so. Okay. No, absolutely not. No, He's okay. a profiteer. He's a charlatan. He is Wonder getting the people the excited. Huh? I wonder if he got the vaccine. Uh oh, who knows. Well, I know that his daughter said that it's okay to get vaccinated now, but that was in 2013 when she said that it wasn't a good idea. Back in the day on some Before other things. CODV? CODV? <laughs> I got the CODV. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's... I'm a CODFISH! I wonder, I wonder if CODV is the same thing as... Oh, you know what? He was right. He was right. No, he was totally right. 
Yeah. CODV yeah. completely wiped out. Yeah. Wiped out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody knows That's what the COD point. V is. Yeah. It went away immediately. I don't even yeah. think it got yeah. started. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you remember whatever <laughs> Trump did Kavif? Oh yeah. Kafifi. Kafifi, yeah. I think that, that I think that went away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he paid her off. <laughs> anyway. All right. All right. I actually think probably We've already used all those expletives today, so oh, it's yeah. okay to go for it. <laughs> yeah. You timed it out well. You missed the swearing portion. That's where we just play it back for her. That is the one part that that I needed. Play that back for her. I want her to hear what I (laughs) said. Well, shit. Listen to that. I think it's it's great. (laughs) At least for today. I will be crying at the altar this weekend. So there you go. So so I'll be sending sending a text to your pastor. (laughs) I don't have a pastor right now. I like them apples. Potty mouth (laughs) read. I know, right? I'm I'm the atheist. (laughs) Yeah, I probably uh, calm down, Rick. Think that about I don't know a hundred times a day. People, you know, that's right. "Hmm." Hey, man, it's a matter of the heart. I just came out. I just came right out and said it. Yeah, yeah. In the moment. In the moment. That's right. (laughs) So, really, it was your heart telling people to (laughs) off. (laughs) Right from the heart. (laughs)